Hello, welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at Earsports.com. We usually start making a joke about how maybe you've heard this before, don't change the channel, whatever. But for the first time since January 6th, West Virginia has won a road game. A three-game losing streak ends, and I think we can say this now, but I will check with my esteemed colleague here, Chris Anderson. Chris, one, welcome in, welcome back as it were. But also, definitely in the NCAA tournament now. Am I wrong? No, I think you're right. Uh, coincidentally enough, they they brought ESPN brought in Joe Lenardi um, during the game to give his thoughts on this and to give his thoughts on uh, West Virginia's freefall and what it meant for the the bracket and all that. And he said even if they had lost out and even lost into in the tournament that West Virginia was in mostly because of that early those early season wins and how the computers love them but that um you know they would be lower than an 8 seed he said they wouldn't be wearing white implying they would not be the home team meaning 9 10 11 seed which i mean you don't need me to say that that's not good yeah i think they still need a win to get off that 8 9 line which means avoiding the 1 seed ideally or likely in the second round of the tournament. I'm still not sure this is a year where you're scared of the one seed, but you definitely want to stay away from that one as far as you can. So that would be good. I do think that people maybe were caught so by surprise by this downturn or are just optimistic that they thought it was preposterous to think this team would not make the tournament. If you lose last night and if you lose to Baylor, and both were and are possible. You are 7-11 and 11 in the Big 12. You need to do some damage in the Big 12 tournament. Probably a 7 seed, maybe 8 if things get weird in the tournament. In a weird way, that might have been good for you because you'd have a chance to bank a win to get another one for your momentum. But if you go 1-9 in your final 10 games and you're 4 under 500 in the Big 12, plus technically 5 if you lose a conference tournament game, there has never been a team that made the tournament that played like that. I can think of, and I actually think Joe Lenardi said this in the broadcast, there were two teams that were four games under 500. One of them played in a 20-team league, excuse me, a 20-game regular season. One of them played in an 18-game, but won two games in the conference tournament. So neither was really in a situation where you're five games below. And one just played more games. It was in peril. And it was really, really shaky in that second half. But West Virginia pulled it off, changed all these talking points, and a three-game losing streak. And sure, the Bob Huggins will not have just his fourth losing streak of five games or more in his 13 seasons at West Virginia. Obviously, that's assuming quite a bit Saturday against West Virginia. But heck, lose on the road to Iowa State, you're probably right for the picking against the top five team in the country. But let's also not get too optimistic here. How much does this or does this not change the world around West Virginia? I think it's it's confidence, and confidence is obviously huge with where um, where things were. Uh, maybe not with individual players. I don't think we really saw anybody say step up that had been struggling. Like uh, I'm not to single him out, but Emmett Matthews, his struggles continued. Chase Harler, his struggles continued. Um, Culver, uh, it was nice to see him to get back up, but he's had a couple decent games recently. Um, 
but just the psyche as a whole. And I think you mentioned earlier, I don't want to go too hard on this whole, will this team ever figure out the last possession of a half or a game thing? But I, yeah, there were so many things wrong with that last possession, just so, so many. But there was one thing that was right, and you pointed it out uh, when I mentioned it on Twitter. Smiles, people happy, people, even if it was maybe a little misguided, misplaced, but just seeing some smiles on some players' faces, guys having a good time, not fighting with each other, not gesturing at each other angrily, um, shrugging shoulders and slumping. It, it was nice to see, and I think that's that's the biggest takeaway from this game. Here's another scheduling quirk that worked out for West Virginia, and this is not anything that was coordinated in light of what happened in February. They put out their remainder of the rest of the season media schedule at the beginning of February because they typically go a month at a time. And because February is short and there's really two games in March, you put February and March together. Very rarely did they have player interviews this month. After games, yes, but there's not a lot of media traveling with the team. So after games is cut in half. Most of the time, it's a Huggins conference call the day before a game. And they played a few road games, and that's typical when you play a road game. You don't have the media day before the game. So mostly just before and after home games. I like my job. I would not want to deal with me on a regular basis. Because how many times when things are going south can you answer a question about a nosedive or a tailspin or downward spiral? It gets really hard. And the whole point about having fun again was something I thought of Saturday. I wasn't there Saturday. Season got the best of me, too. But I noticed watching interviews after the game, I'd heard all this before. Body language, the answers. I even thought the questions all seemed like everybody was in on the joke and realized this is going on again and again and again. So to see them royally screw up that possession and somehow get points out of it and feel good, I thought it was a good omen for things. You even saw some laughter at the end. They win this game, I wouldn't say going away, but more comfortable than a six-point spread indicates. And you're feeling a little better about stuff. It changes everything. But everything I thought about the second half looking good and how it was a good omen at the end of the first half, it was a disaster to start the second half, which maybe we should have expected because this team has a way of inviting the boogeyman into the living room. But what a way to start that half. Yeah, and I think this is where I I feel compelled to bring up substitution patterns and and who's playing and who's not at certain times again because I think that might have been the biggest culprit of of that stretch there you know in the first half West Virginia was kind of I mean they were scoring uh, they were kind of keeping pace but they were losing for a a good chunk of that first half until Deuce McBride, Taz Sherman, Sean McNeil, those guys started rotating in, started providing offense, started attacking the basket, started scoring buckets. And and when they spread the, the offensive out, that helped get Culver more touches, cleaner touches, easier shots at the basket. Mm. And then West Virginia took off, got a 13-point lead at half. Started the second half, he comes back out with the regular starters. And I get that. That's normal. Um I wouldn't mind switching it up every once in a while, which we've seen him do a couple times this year. But I get it. I get your sticking with it. But a couple minutes in, you go to your first subs, and your first subs are Gabe and Chase Harler. Harler, a guy that played two minutes in the first half, 
didn't do anything, got benched, never saw the floor again. And then you bring him in, and you're running the offense through him. The very first possession he's on the court, they're running a long, uh, drawn-out play that really wasn't that complicated, but for some reason was 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 complicated and to try to get Chase Harler the ball, of all people, who's shooting 28% from three on the year. And again on the next possession, and again on the next possession, finally a little over five minutes, almost six full minutes into the second half. Sherman and McNeil come in. McBride comes in. West Virginia scores. Very next possession. Um, it wasn't all gravy from there. It wasn't perfect with those guys in there, but it seemed to spark them again and kind of turn things back around. Chris. Yes. I have a take. Go. There is no way this team can stay out of its way for 40 minutes. I think everybody <laughs> understands that right now. And look, it's going to happen. Turnovers are okay tonight. Free throw shooting, excellent. But there was that scoring job, and I say that for a team that did score 77 points. It wasn't pronounced, but it happened at points, and it's going to happen. And I don't think you can avoid playing the 12 people or even the 11 people in the games where Odd doesn't play and be as you're not going to win a 32-minute game is what I'm trying to say. They're going to have an eight-minute rut where you don't do a lot or a six-minute rut where you don't do a lot. So they're going to have to find a way to have their best guys on when it matters most. If that means playing Napper four minutes or playing Matthews, what did Matthews play? Seven minutes. I'm stunned it's over three. It's not a lot, but if you got to play guys to get other people to rest, it matters. And when it came down to when it was important and you made this popular, they're finishing five. They kind of had who they wanted in there, and it worked. So maybe they've tried to figure out how are we playing for 40 minutes? A good start, a good finish to a half. That may be beyond them on a consistent basis, but maybe they have a way to get their guys in at the quality moments. But I believe the line to start the second half was strange. I don't have the minutes or the plus minus or whatever, but I know they scored a lot more points than Iowa State did with their bench at the end of the first half. And I don't understand why those guys didn't start the second half or get in earlier. 35 to two for the game, by the way, bench points in favor, in favor of West Virginia. Um, Hey, would you like some numbers? Oh, good. I was hoping we were going getting here. The three seed is still possible, Chris. Here's how this can happen. They can still finish seventh. I think it's probably unlikely at this point. They can still finish third right now, as of this morning when you're listening to this. Texas Tech and Texas, wow, both 9-8. and eight. Oklahoma lost. West Virginia wins. TCU has a game tonight. Pretty much everybody's played 17, except for the purpose of this conversation. TCU, so 9-8. and eight. Texas Tech, 9-8. and eight. Texas, Oklahoma, West Virginia, 8-9. TCU, 7-9. and nine. West Virginia can hit the three. And I believe I have this right. Have to beat Baylor. And they need losses by Texas Tech against Kansas Saturday. Texas to lose to Oklahoma State. And then need Oklahoma to lose to TCU to end the season. So kind of a weird thing how that works. But it's still possible. That gets them to the three seed because in that situation, you have a couple of 9-9 and teams all one and one against each other, but West Virginia would have a win against Baylor, the highest ranked win. 
what they do is they put these teams that are tied in multi-team ties, figure it out by who wins a mini-league among those teams. If that ends up, they have the same record. West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Texas, all 9-9. Nine and nine. West Virginia, even though they're all 1-1, one one, wins the tiebreaker. It's the only team that has a win against Kansas or Baylor. No one has beaten Kansas. Baylor has. They can also be the four if all that happens. But Oklahoma beats TCU. So three or four is still out there. Seven is still possible, too. Not out of the question. If they lose Saturday, and let's assume TCU loses tonight and then wins Saturday to draw even, West Virginia is the seven. Everybody would be eight and ten in that situation, but TCU would win the tiebreaker, even though they're one and one, because it defeated Baylor, and West Virginia did not. So, a long shot because it presumes some things that are hard to predict. But three is possible, four is possible, five and six maybe the best deal. And and again, just for a reminder for those listening, that the seven, eight, nine, and ten have to play the extra game. That top six get that extra buy. Seven plays ten, eight plays nine. Um, so. I'm trying. There's so much math going on here between that three and the seven seed. Um, obviously, I, I will think it's safe to say that six is better than seven. But as far as matchups go, look at look at that group. That group that you were just focusing on. Who would you say is the most favorable matchup for West Virginia in that first game? Hmm. TCU would be the one. They haven't beaten Oklahoma. Texas is hot. Texas Tech's a tough matchup for them because they play a similar style, similar players, and they have pretty dynamic scores. TCU, they walloped them at the Coliseum. I'm not going to dismiss a 38-point win. There was a loss that went to overtime that wasn't embarrassing. It wasn't like they got blown off the court. So can they get into that matchup? I don't know. But here's this. We said that there probably wasn't a difference between being a three and a four and playing a one or two in the first round of the tournament. Excuse me, the semifinal of the tournament. I think it's different now for the purpose of being a three or a four. The difference between a three and a four, maybe you figure it's not that much of a difference if the one or two are so similar. But if you Baylor and you get up into that three line and then you get to play Baylor again in the semifinal, that's a lot different than being the four and losing to Baylor and having to play Kansas in the semifinal. Yeah, and I think uh, when you and I were talking earlier, you, you mentioned it, and I agree wholeheartedly. Baylor's kind of, you know, I don't want to say struggling down the stretch. Let's let's not go too far. But, you know, lost two of their last four, uh, getting kind of winded, some overtime games, don't have a lot of depth, and they're going to be traveling to Morgantown, the furthest trip for them of the year to end the season – and then would have to turn around again the next week. And if West Virginia can play them again, uh, it's looking pretty good. It looks better than, than, say, Kansas. Really physical game Monday night against Texas Tech that went to overtime. Baylor won at home. Got some energy there. Lost to TCU Saturday. And as you mentioned, the road trip here, no joke. It's a 1 o'clock game. I think Baylor would probably like that to be later. But you're right. 
only used two or three guys off the bench. We saw West Virginia really get into Iowa State, literally wear their legs out. Had a guy hopping on one leg at the end. But listen, just to wrap up the seating there, can be the three if you beat Baylor. And if Texas Tech loses to Kansas, Texas loses to Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma loses to TCU, you end up the best of those four if those three losses, Texas Tech, Texas, and Oklahoma happen. But if Oklahoma beats TCU, it's a different story. Three or four not out of the question, but a lot of things still have to happen. Maybe you can't give West Virginia a coin flip there, but also scenarios that you might not be likely, but who knows? Everything's still possible right now. But think of the things we crossed off the list. Tuesday night, going to make the tournament. Probably not the seven. And still, they feel good. They won a road game. Going to be a little bit more buoyant Saturday because they won a game. Don't have to worry about a five-game losing streak going into the tournament. Just feels different. And it's better to come off a win than a loss. And had they lost again, man, that whole press briefing on Friday probably wouldn't have been very fun. No. Um, but... I got a question for you. If you had to pick one thing from the game, and not not the attitude, I'm talking about the actual like X's and O's or, or the the game. What what would you say stood out that was different? I mean, there were several things I felt that were different, at least in the first half and towards the end of the game um, for West Virginia this game than the, than some of their losses recently. But uh, what would you say is sustainable or the biggest plus, like? from what happened on the actual court other than than smiles oh man the plus but the biggest thing is that final possession of the first half that was my favorite moment of the season because McNeil takes a jumper he shouldn't take the shot clock's off it's inbound 15 seconds left in the half and Culver presumably because he thought McNeil wouldn't make that type of play shoots a 25 footer pretty sure it's his first three pointer of his career and it might have been a hook shot wouldn't even look at the basket and they somehow score in the possession I liked it because it was entertaining though but I thought Shibwe was pretty important, maybe the most important player in the second half. Made some free throws when, had they gone one or two or over two? You know, you wear that to the other side of the floor and you're playing defense at a time when that crowd was getting feisty, but he quieted down a little bit. He made some big baskets when it mattered too, but I kind of like Culver's first half too, and I think we were wondering about where he was going, and I think he maybe veered left to center a few times, but he did a pretty good job in that first half. So separately, those two came together to have a nice night. You're talking about 28 points, 6 of 7 at the foul line, 18 rebounds, and just one turnover. But look, they're not going to get away from this too big thing. I don't know if it worked tonight because of the opponent or if it worked tonight because they found a way to make it work. But that's one more thing you cross off the list. It wasn't at the same time, but there is a way to play with the two bigs. And I don't think Huggins is going to change the stripes there. And on the other side of the ball, the biggest thing I, I noticed, and I think a part of the reason why they were kept out there, why Huggins felt comfortable with both of them out there, was their ball screen defense, other than a little stretch there in the middle of the second half, was better. I thought the first half they were excellent. They were hedging hard, which is not some like uh, you know wild thing. It's pretty basic, but. What, they hadn't been doing it. They've been trying all these different methods uh, to defend the ball screen with these big men. And at times, even when they were asking them to hedge, they just weren't putting forth the effort or Derek Culver wasn't putting forth the effort. And and Oscar was having trouble committing, uh, was kind of seemed hesitant to, to jump out there like that. And 
for I'd say two thirds of the game, both of them were out hard, trying, hedging, kind of delaying that offense and really uh, interrupting that ball screen, and it really helped. And we saw we, we saw both sides of it. When they did it well, it really stifled Iowa State offensively. When they kind of lack, you know, laid off and, and got a little lax about it, Iowa State scored and, and had no trouble with it, and they kept going back to the ball screen until West Virginia finally started hard hedging again. Concerning because I haven't seen a ton of Iowa State basketball this year, but they typically don't have the guys who just go downhill, especially without Halliburton. But from the very beginning, Young didn't seem like he was Garrett at Shibway, but it also seemed like they thought their guards could drive, and it got them a lot of free throws. Um, 16 out of 20, which is less than West Virginia, but Bolton needed to make a play. He generally did. And it seemed like there were a lot of times where their offense was, hey, give it a 45 and see what he can do. Is that a way to consistently beat West Virginia? I don't know. But I also think you don't bank on a guy who's shooting, what was it, Nixon shooting 22% from three. Starts off three for three, ends up five for seven, 19 points. Not a guy who does that to you. So survives some breakdowns. Guy hitting free throws, guy hitting threes. But look, won a game, very easily could have lost a game, but won. Yeah, I mean, Iowa State's five games under 500, six games maybe now, but uh, they were 11-5 and five in Ames this year and beat some good teams. I mean, they beat Oklahoma by double digits. They beat TCU, I believe, by double digits. They beat uh, Seton Hall, who I think is ranked number eight. Now, granted, that was with uh, uh, Halliburton, who was their best player, but still, it's not an easy place to win. Um, so West Virginia should feel good about this. One more thing, McBride just 5 of 13 shooting, but thought he played pretty good defense and asserted himself at the end. And also a statistical oddity, I'll have to find out here, but the last time a player led the team in points, rebound, and assists this year, I'm going to guess Haley, but Culver did it tonight. Went 17, 9, and 3. And again, mm. no turnovers for him in 32 minutes. Remarkable. Yeah, he... There were a couple of plays early on uh, where he seemed a little bit out of control uh, in the post, um, but really started to gather himself and played well, I thought. All right, Chris, do this one more time Saturday? <laughs> uh, no, because I'll be on a flight going on vacation, so you'll be doing this solo. You'll be doing the, the celebratory win over Baylor podcast by yourself, I think. Hmm. Mike. Well, I'll be on Dayquil at that point. My apologies for the Nyquil haze here. But listen, for everybody there, I'll update the Big 12 tiebreakers after Wednesday night's game just because the if-then stuff is kind of confusing. I'm sure I made a mess. I tried not to when I was reading that. But the TCU-Kansas game is kind of important. It's at Kansas, so you can kind of maybe assume what's going to happen. But it's the one thing that can swing West Virginia around between 3 and 7. So rather than if than that, I'll just post that Thursday morning and figure out how things stand going into the final Saturday of the season. Also Thursday, big deal. Get to talk to coaches hired a few months ago, a pre-spring luncheon with Neil Brown, who we haven't spoken to since signing day in December, not even February, December. So certainly plenty to talk about and updates to feel from him. And we'll have some eyeballs there. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think we'll have uh we're going to have photos. We're going to have videos. We're going to try to get complete coverage of all this stuff for you guys. And um, Later today, Wednesday, I will be heading to Life Christian Academy here in Richmond. Uh, new little football factory school in Central Virginia that has several 
kids with West Virginia offers, a couple four-star kids, a couple kids that have camped in Morgantown and the staff really like in both 2021 and 2022. Um, I'll have written stories and video up with them over the next few days from that. My only regret is that we didn't, out of nowhere, shut this down way too prematurely, like the end of that one possession at the end of the first <laughs> half. And we actually had clock awareness. But we'll wrap it up this time. I think it's our best show ever. Uh, they just keep getting better and better. They do. Well, that is all for this time. We'll see you next time for earsports.com. I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.